I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower. A weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. For you and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hey, I'm Tom Morello, and this is Maximum Firepower. What a pleasure and an honor it is to have my good friend Slash on the program today. Slash, what's going on, man? How are you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's good to see you, and uh, I was looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Slash and I have a, a long musical history together, both you know, sort of me being a fan from day one to playing a lot of shows together. But the one, th- one thing I don't think that you and I have ever discussed is, like, what were your kind of, like, first cornerstone rock influences and guitar influences and riff influences and soloing influences right okay so that's a big question um all right so when i was when i you know was 14 15 started picking up the guitar that's when you're at that teenage age when you start picking your own music because i listen i grew up on my parents music which was great and i still listen to a lot of the same stuff they did but um, when I when I picked it up, I started listening to like I think Aerosmith was a really big one for me because um, right at that age, I got turned on to that Rocks album. Yeah, I mean, dude, that's that's the one. Yeah, Far, and that really fucking focused me. Right. So there was that. There was those beginning ACDC records, um, Zeppelin, and you know Roy Gallagher. God, I mean, I suppose I could go on forever with this. You know, like. Derek and the Dominoes, which is actually one of my parents' records, but I still love that, you know. Yeah. Almond and, and Eric Clapton and stuff. So so I'd say, you know, Jeff Beck was a big one, the truth sure. and all the records. And then also at that time, there was like Ted Nugent had there was I was into live records. So there was Oh, double double live gonzo, dude. <laughs> uh Rick Nielsen and Cheap Trick at that time. And there was UFO back then. Absolutely, absolutely. The Strangers in the Night live record, one of the all-time greats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually met a guy back then when I was I was still in junior high school, and this stoner friend of mine took me over to this guy's house to get some pot or something. And he took me over there, and the guy could do air guitar to Strangers of the Night from one end of the song, <laughs> and it was so perfect, like note for note air guitar. I was blown away. I'll never forget that. Yeah, getting them all, every every last Michael Schenker riff down. <laughs> so funny, but but you know, with air guitars, it was all the physical nuances of every single lick on the record. And I, yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas Michael Schenker, I think, just stood there the whole time. Like, he just stood there. So I mean, we're in the, we're in the same wheelhouse there because I mean, that Aerosmith Rocks record for me was so was so huge. You know, I leaned maybe a little bit more kind of Kiss and Led Zeppelin, but that record just blew my mind. I remember sitting in class in the eighth grade maybe and i had gotten aerosmith rocks and you know the teacher's voice sounded just like the charlie brown teacher's voice like wah 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 and all i could think in my mind was when i go home am i gonna play aerosmith rocks side one or am i gonna play aerosmith rocks side two like that was the biggest decision i had to make that's funny that you remember that yeah Yeah. (laughs) there was something about that particular record the swagger on it and the looseness of it and yeah. that sort of devil may care kind of attitude that it had um that really spoke to my personality i guess you can hear that aerosmith rocks record throughout your entire career so including up to now so tell me tell me and all the listeners about your new record i mean for the most part we managed to get it out through the pandemic you know we did it 
April of last year. So we've been mm-hmm. sitting on it for a while. We're trying to find a window when it was going to be good to release it. We write on the road most of the time. So some of the songs, half the songs on the record were written on the last tour. And then I wrote some new stuff during the pandemic. Because of the the whole sort of COVID thing, we couldn't get together and jam. So I started, I made demos of all the songs. I sent them to Miles. He worked on the lyrics and stuff. And then eventually Todd snuck out of his place in Vegas and drove over to my place and put bass on on the tracks and everything. Um, And so we had some loose arrangements. And then finally the restrictions let up a little bit and everybody came over and we did two weeks of pre-production and we recorded it in Nashville with uh, Dave Cobb. Oh, yeah. I love Dave. Yeah. He, and I didn't know who he was at the time, but I'd asked around about contemporary producers who were doing rock and roll these days that were good. Mm-hmm. That was a very short list of four mm-hmm. people. Yeah. <laughs> Dave was one, Dave was one of them. So I, I checked out his discography and I, I noticed that like he was the one guy who was doing country music that had some soul. Mm-hmm. really sort of raw and very human whereas the rest of the whole genre has gone down the top 40 yeah filter it sounds yeah yeah um so i was like okay well that's cool but then he also did uh rival sons records mm-hmm. and i knew rival sons from klos just driving around and i, was, I thought oh, this is a really great sounding band i mean the good songs and everything but there was something about the sound of it so that always stuck with me so i saw that he was the guy that produced those guys I thought, okay, I'm going to call him. So we talked and he goes, you know, what I'd really like to do slash is just, you know, record you guys live, you know, like right in the room. And I was like, I've been trying to do that my whole career. No producer would ever let me do it. I hate headphones. And they're always like, well, you know, that's why I've always gone in the control room and redone it because I never trusted my guitar playing or my guitar sound through headphones. So he goes, no, I'm going to record you right off the floor. And I was like, that was that was a eureka moment for me. Mm, great. Wow. We went down there and that's what we did. Two songs a day for five days. Yeah, Dave's great. You know, didn't fix anything, didn't like tweak out on stuff. But then the so it was a, you know, like we we went in with really loose arrangements too. Like we normally rehearse the shit out of everything before we go in the studio so that we just could sort of bang through it, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, this time we we went in with like 30 to 70% done arrangements. And we worked them up that day, the day that we were recording the songs. Mm. There's a lot of spontaneity in that. I'm really proud of it. It's a, just a good sort of, in this day and age, a really raw, in-your-face rock and roll record. Yeah, yeah, it sounds great. I did, I did a song with Dave Cobb with Chris Stapleton called The War Inside for my record. Yeah, and I, I had sort of known him through Shooter Jennings in the past and exactly as advertised. He's got a little bit of that sort of like Brendan O'Brien vibe to me. We're going to set up the mics and we're going to get takes and then that's going to be the music. I'm going to make sure it sounds good, but you guys wrote the song, you guys play the song, that's what we're going to capture on the thing. And that's true. Yeah. He did yeah. remind me a little bit of Brendan. And we both work with Brendan, obviously. So, yeah. and I, you know, and it's funny because I knew Shooter, I know Shooter and I never, I just had never heard of Dave before and he's an LA guy. Yeah. And he actually, by his own admission, he's a rock and roll guy, but he just ended up doing something country and made it sound yeah. good and everybody started calling him and started getting Grammys and shit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Just around the way Grammys. One thing that you and I have in common is like we play in bands then we also have solo careers. And and I know that the thing with Miles, that's a band too, but it's your names at the top. Give me some of like sort of the, the pros and cons of solo artists versus band member. That's a tough question. I mean, for me, I, it was always to do something that was just really sort of loose and easy and yeah. no pressure I mean, I'm an ambitious person, but only to a point, you know, I'm not trying to change the world with it. I'm not trying to 
don't I don't have goals like selling a million records or getting on the radio every day or any of that kind of mm -hmm. grandeur. I just like to put something together that I like doing and have fun with it and just go out and, and fuck around. And I like staying at ground level and being in a band like Guns N' Roses, you know, and I obviously I wasn't in Guns N' Roses for like 20 years. So I've been doing a solo record as my sole means of yep. existing. But prior to that, when I was still in Guns N' Roses, it was such a big band that I needed that sort of release on a different level. It helped kept me from going crazy. So even yep. at this point in time and I'm back in Guns and everything's great, um, I liked keeping my thing with Miles and the conspirators together because I still have that downsized fun thing that's got yeah. culture and doesn't yeah. pay the weight of the name. <laughs> exactly. I completely feel that. Like, I mean, there were times where I was out on tour with Audio Slave, you know, doing arena tours with Audio Slave. And on nights off, I would sign up at open mic night coffee houses to like play my acoustic songs because it just felt like, you know, like there was a nice balance too. Because one thing, there's a certain, like the stakes are a certain amount and there's a, pageantry and stuff that goes along with it. you don't have to worry about it all when you kind of have your yeah i know and you, and you do that and i and i love that it's like a way to step away from all the you know the lights and the focus yeah. and your spotlights or whatever and just you know do something very simple and from the heart and mm -hmm. just fewer people who are listening to you from a different reason than that's right so here's one thing that I tell everybody is like I throughout my career organized a lot of benefit shows and, and, and things like that. And there's a very short list of people that I can call or text and say, hey, there's this thing and it's this time. And I'm always like last. I'm not very good organizer. Things, so it's always like last minute who will say yes and show up, you know, if they're available. And you're on that list. And I got to tell you, but if you missed any of those hotel cafe shows that we used to do, there's a little little club Normally, it's sort of like an acoustic venue in Los Angeles called the Hotel Cafe. A couple times a year, for a month, like every Tuesday night, we would do these Access of Justice shows. We'd charge $10 at the door, the people's price, give all the money away to charity. There was really nothing planned, but I would just, whoever I could get to come on that particular night, I would text them, my, I think my Blackberry at the time, whatever, and come down, and we would rehearse a little bit kind of before the thing started and then have an entire night full of music. And in that room, it might be like some homeless teenager who I saw at Covenant House who was busking for change outside and Motley Crue or, you know, the Cypress Hill. And I remember you one night, I remember it was like in the middle of the show, you were gracious enough to come down. You just like threw your Les Paul in the car, Les Paul and top hat in the car, whatever. And 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 I'm like in the middle of the show, like texting you directions to the thing. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I promise you guys, Slash is going to be here. <laughs> and you just show up. There's like no entourage. There's no nothing. It's just you head down, soloing the night away, having the best time. Do you have, you remember that? Yeah, I totally remember. Yeah. I have a vivid picture in my in my mind of that room. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Small and crowded and and dark. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. totally cool. No, I like that because I think uh, you know when you go and do that kind of stuff it's just fun it's there's a million things it's it's it keeps you like i said it's very sort of down to earth um there's no rock star bullshit with that kind of stuff and it just keeps you humble and you go out and you play with people you learn stuff you meet new people you're just like immersed in music and you're not bigger or better than anybody else and everybody's doing it together and i think that's really you know i mean i just i think that's something that i need to sort of maintain sanity yeah 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 some of my favorite nights of music that i've ever been involved in have been that you know what i mean there was another one at uh south by southwest where i was on we basically took the idea of that hotel cafe show and went around the country so we do some like 
good deeds and charity stuff in each city and then have a show that we would, you know, we'd use that money for that. We played a show at South by Southwest. And I remember having, it was you and Les Claypool and Perry Farrell and Nuno Betancourt. And I'm sorry, I'm probably missing, you know, half of them. But the idea was, you know, we're each going to play a set. And then at the end, we're going to have this grand finale. But at the last minute, I remember going like, Let's just start the show with everybody. Do you remember this? And we're just like, and it's like, and people didn't even know what to expect. Like, oh, it's going to be Tom Morello playing a few acoustic songs. And all of a sudden, there's Slash and Les and Nuno. And with the, that was one of my favorite nights of music, too, because pe- I could just see people's jaws on the floor. Like, I know. It's, it's like scrambling, trying to keep up with it because yeah. it's a little overwhelming. Yeah. It was <laughs> a little overwhelming for us, too, because I'm like, what key is that one in? I have no idea, but it was pretty super fun, super fun. I'm Tom Morello. You're listening to Maximum Firepower. And my guest today is guitar legend and good buddy Slash. So let me ask you this question, because this is something I wonder how much you get this in, in, in your life. Do the people in your audience, in your substantial global audience, like not know that you're half black? It comes up on occasion when I'm doing media stuff. Yeah. Somebody will mention it. It's weird that in my career, it has never been a foreshadowing thing yeah it's never really come up it's never been like the topic of conversation yeah whereas when i was a kid before all that um it was definitely a topic of conversation yeah <laughs> i was trying to find my place you know it was definitely something that was on on my mind on an exorbitant amount of time but um since since you know i've been a musician it really hasn't come up that much yeah yeah because i mean the crazy thing for me is like i have you know occasionally i'll mention something you know with like black history month or whatever on and there are a lot of fans of my music that have no fucking clue that i'm half black and are kind of they'll be like you are not that music that i listen to that i like all the time that's it's got to be made by somebody who looks like me. <laughs> I know, you know, it's, I think that's the same kind of thing. I don't think people really realize. I think people are more knowledgeable about where I was born. You know, yes. like the fact that, that I was born in England and all that. That, that seems to be more of a topic than yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I probably, I would imagine people probably think that it's probably more white based or whatever. And I yeah. really, I've really grown out of having any kind of like a strong feeling of, of being one or the other. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, so it just, yeah. But it's, it's a weird question when it comes up, you know, like I'll be talking to somebody in the press or something and they'll, they're like, which do you feel more black or more white? Oh, geez. <laughs> has happened. I mean, it, I, you know, there's been those rare moments where somebody's asked a question about about my ethnicity, and uh, and that was one of them. I'll never forget that. I'm sort of being like deer in headlights, going, yeah. I really didn't think of myself as either. Really, right, right, yeah. I sus- I suspect there are a lot of your fan- fans that maybe maybe don't know. Like for for me, what was trippy was I grew up when I was the only black kid in the town I grew up in. So I mean, I was half black, but I was. So yeah, twice as black as anybody else. Yeah, yeah. Well, all, yeah. I was my yeah. There's, I mean, I was, and all you know, all of sort of the racism stuff that comes along with that. And so I really, my whole life, only identified as black. Like I was black, and everybody in my town thought I was black. So then, but later on, like when I'm in bands that were popular and they have, have songs on radio stations that might be sort of predominantly reserved for white rock and roll artists or magazines that you know are not interviewing black artists or whatever. It's like people just sort of assume why would you not be white like everybody else on this station and everybody else in this magazine and everybody else you know and it's it's interesting because 
in some ways, even though my skin color has stayed exactly the same, in the eyes of people who view me, I've changed colors. Wow. You know, it's, yeah, pretty, yeah. Tri- it's pretty trippy. It's pretty yeah. trippy. <laughs> rock, rock, and, rock and roll leads to some very interesting places. All right. All right. So um, you and I are guitar play, still like fly the flag very much for rock and roll guitar in a world now where, you know, while there are big tours of rock and roll bands from Guns to Rage to Foo Fighters to, you know, Nine Inch Nails or whatever, um, but rock and roll is not the, at the top of the charts. Like, what do you see or do you see sort of the future of electric guitar playing? That's a deep question. Because, I mean, you know, all throughout my career and even before I actually became what you consider professional, I've been hearing how guitar is dead. You know, especially like I picked it up on the guitar in like 1979, I guess it was. And in 1980, all of a sudden it was Elvis Costello and like all this big new wave change was happening. Guitar was dead at that point. Mm-hmm. So I've heard it so many times, but it just sticks around. And it's it's the mainstay no matter what trends happen electronically or otherwise, it's always a mainstay in anything that's even remotely rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and rock and roll in and of itself is an attitude that's irreplaceable. There's no other music that can replace what the rock and roll statement is all about. And with that, you need guitar. So you go through all these sort of musical trends, what's popular, what's not. I mean, and right now, rock and roll is definitely out of vogue. But... Um, I think that it'll have its resurgence, I don't know, commercially or whatever. I can't, hard to imagine how that's going to happen. But I think guitar will always be a significant part of it. Yeah. And you know, from looking online, I mean, there's a zillion fucking guitar players out there that are just mind-blowing. And mind-blowing, mind-blowing. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like 11. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who are 11 and like the stuff, like the, you get to see, I mean, they may have always existed, but now like they can all have like a U- YouTube channel. So they're there for you. To, I mean, it, it is definitely um, more visible now, but it reminds me a little bit of like, because I used to um, race BMX and did a lot of freestyle and we thought we were like cutting edge and hardcore back then. And I look at the guys now and it's unbelievable. Yeah. So guitar has sort of evolved on a technical level, especially yes. evolved that way. It's like, well, check this out. And it's like, what? <laughs> when you see it online, you're like, geez. Anyway, so I think guitar will always be uh, prominent, whether it's popular to say it or not, you know? Yeah. Finally, I have a 10 uh, year old guitar playing son who's like, loves your stuff and is a you know and he practices he can like sort of blues shred and he's got his kiss songs down he you know he tries to do sort of rock versions of k-pop songs and whatnot what advice would you give to young guitar players and particularly to my son shredding son oh you know that's that's a tough one because i see guitar playing in a form of very simple or any instrument really when it comes down to it from a very simple point of view where it's just something that you love the sound of it it attracts you um, whatever instrument it is, you know, but if it's guitar and and then you want to learn how to do it. And I think I think getting some sort of a musical education, even though most of us rock guys, you know, don't don't have that. It's it's a good thing to go after as long as you've got to focus on what it is that you're trying to do so that you don't become, you know, like a slave to the student ethic. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, but anyway, and then and then and then just, you know, really stay focused on what you enjoy doing and learn and try to expand your mind and learn a lot about the instrument, and a lot about the different genres of music and 
and and do that and and work really hard at it and and i mean i know that i did i know you did like spending hours and hours and 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 stop worrying about the pressures of how you're supposed to make it in the industry and yes but i mean and then there's a point there was like well you want to have a band like i wanted to have a band second i could stand up with a guitar Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then so you do that and then the idea of going out and playing in venues and all that kind of stuff happens but it's such a different landscape now yes when we started so you really, you know, I mean, I, I think the first thing is to really explore the instrument and get it, you know, get a, a handle on it and then figure out where you want to go musically as a group or, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. And then look at it from a perspective of like, well, here are all the different possibilities and options of how to go out there and maybe have somebody hear my music and go out and play for people. But I, I just think it's the, the most important thing is to be passionate about it and don't be don't have too many outside influences telling you what to do just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do what you want to do you know I, th- I think that's very wise and like you know because sometimes people like younger musicians will ask me like how to become successful I mean, first of all the model is so much different now i mean i don't understand between there's a lot of different ways that you know young art we'll call them artists in quotes like the do i don't know hand dances and whatnot you know become become successful uh before it used to be you know you practice eight hours a day for you know 10 years and you move to hollywood and and take your shot like that was kind of what it was but i think now like the really the only answer to how to be successful is to make sure that you that you love and believe in what you're playing yeah you know and that that's a level whether you're in your basement playing in front of your folks or whether you're in you know a stadium in argentina playing if you don't have that you kind of don't have anything well you know? I, I think there was something that happened um and i i i mean you know the industry is a lot to blame for a lot of things and there's also a lot to blame for the success of the music industry the rock and roll industry through the 80s into the 90s when there was just so much money to be made and when when the whole streaming or whatever you want to call it file sharing thing happened and everything went digital and it got really weird the industry sort of fell apart you know um then everybody was trying to figure out ways of how to be famous and how to be big rock stars and all this kind of stuff but there was no musical integrity behind it it was just material and i think what's happening now is that a lot of kids are discovering music for music's sake and actually going back a lot backwards to really great music that existed before the mp3 and all that And and doing it for all the right reasons, it, I think a lot of people have come to are resigned to the idea that there's not any kind of a guarantee to be rich and famous and drive around in limousines and get all the girls in rock. In rock. Yeah. 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 And so I noticed that there's a groundswell of kids that are doing it because they just love the music and they're putting bands together and then they just circulate amongst themselves. And that's, that, you know, so it's under the radar, but there's a lot of them, you know, because I've got kids that are in music and I hear a lot about it. My girlfriend's got her daughters are in music. So I hear all this stuff that's happening and it's not mainstream. Mm-hmm. All tr- kids trying to, um, you know, meet the industry standards. So I think that's really important because I think that's going to spill over and become a movement unto itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you just trust in the arts, like you did in your band and I did in my, like, like let that, and whether or not it's at the top of the charts or whether it's, something that's made 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 from the heart originally no no it was great when we got there but yeah into it it was just about getting to play every day and just going out and having a gig exactly having a gig (laughs) uh well slash thank you so much for being on the show it's always lovely talking with you and you're going out on the road this is you're taking this out 
No, I'm here now. I'm in a hotel in Phoenix. Oh, I got. Oh, you're on the road right now. Okay, fantastic. All right, great. Stay safe out there, and I, I look forward to the next time when when you and I can uh, can jam together in some unusual venue. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. And thanks for having me. You know, it's great to see you and talk to you at length, and uh, and we will definitely hook up at some gig. Yeah, I look look forward to crossing paths again. Safe travels out there, brother. And thanks for, you know, you and I are friends, but I've never stopped being a fan. You know what I mean? Like when I got that cassette, Appetite cassette, I was the first one in line at Music Plus on Fairfax the day, the day that, you know, I saw you in the clubs. I was at, I was at Madame Wong's West and at Raji's back. Come on, really? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dude. When I first, when I first moved out here, like all the free papers like BAM Magazine and the LA Rock Review and stuff. You know, which were the ones who were free. Those were the papers. Like, that was the band they were talking about. So I found, I was there on day day one, man. So I couldn't wait for that cassette to come out. So I've been a fan since day one. So I appreciate you and what your contribution to all things rock and roll. Well, I'm I'm, I'm a speechless. <laughs> all right. Lots of love, man. Take care and safe travels. All right. All right. Cheers, brother. Bye. You've been listening to Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello. Till next time, take it easy. But take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower.